few books are as fundamental to the Christian faith as the book of Exodus. Exodus not only teaches us about the redemption of God's people, Israel, but it also provides us with a paradigm for understanding God's future redemption of humanity. The people of Israel were physically enslaved in Egypt. Humanity today is spiritually enslaved to sin. We're all in need of redemption. God redeemed Israel, enabling them to cross over out of Egypt. Through the sacrifice of Jesus, we are all enabled to cross over into life from our sin. When we understand the book of Exodus, we understand God, his grace, and ultimately our redemption. When I say the word priest, there is a chance that an image pops up in your head. Maybe you are thinking about a priest that you've seen on television or in Hollywood and you're thinking about that particular movie that comes to mind. Maybe you grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition and you had priests. In fact, maybe you have fond memories of your priest. Chances are, when I say the word priest, something comes to mind. And, and contrary to uh, maybe all of different opinions or stereotypes that we have about that word or that person or that office, the word and the office of priest is a biblical idea. In fact, it is from Genesis to Revelation a key aspect in the story of God and his people. And what we're going to be doing today is really kind of part two of two parts from starting last week where we talked about the tabernacle and the temple and really the presence of God to today where we are talking about the idea and the concept of a priest. So if you have this stereotype or you at least have this image in your mind of what a priest is or what a priest does, what then do we do with it? How should we understand what a priest does and who a priest is? If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Here's kind of the big idea that I want you to take away today that connects with what we talked about last week. Here it is. Where heaven, everybody say heaven. And earth, everybody say earth. Where heaven and earth meet, you will always find a priest between the Lord and us. Where heaven and earth meet, you will always find a priest between the Lord and us. Last week, we talked about the idea of heaven and earth meeting in the tabernacle and in Jesus and in the church and in the new heaven and the new earth, and that place is where God's presence is. And today, we're talking about how in that place is where a priest is standing between us and God. If you have a Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 28, and we're going to tackle two chapters today. Now, we're going to do a little bit like we did last week. I'm not going to read everything. Instead, what I'm wanting to do for you today is provide you a biblical theology uh, an understanding from Genesis to Revelation of how we should understand the concept 
and the person that is a priest. So we're going to tackle a little bit of Exodus, but then we're going to jump to the New Testament to understand this idea as well. So if you turn to Exodus 28 and you look at Exodus 28 and you look at Exodus 29, you're going to notice two things. Exodus 28 is all about the clothes that the priests wear. I know, you're thinking to yourself, what in the world does what a priest wears have to do with anything of significance? And we're going to talk about that. So Exodus 28 is all about what particularly the high priest wears. And then Exodus 29 is about the consecration of the priests. So that when a person becomes a priest, there is a ceremony that sets them apart or consecrates them for the work that God has called them to. And so that's a brief overview of Exodus 28 and 29. I want you to look particularly at Exodus 29, verses 43 through 46. I think these few verses are a fantastic overview of not just the tabernacle and the temple, but also the priests and what all of this means for the people of Israel and ultimately their worship. So look at what it says. Verse 43 in Exodus 29. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting, that is the tabernacle, and the altar. Aaron also, and his sons, I will consecrate to serve me as priests. I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Last two weeks, everything that we've talked about last week and everything we're going to talk about this week could be really summarized in these few verses in Exodus 29. So where do we start? If you're taking notes, write this down. Where heaven and earth meet, you will find a priest. You will find a priest. Last week, one of the things that I said is that the Lord wants heaven on earth. Does everybody remember my artistic designs from last week? Everybody familiar with the Venn diagram? Yes, I know. This took me way longer than it should have. But I think this is a good understanding of how we should understand the presence of God. You have heaven and you have earth. And the place where God dwells among men, whether it's in the tabernacle or in the person of Jesus or in the church, is in that middle place. We talked about how even the Garden of Eden was the first tabernacle. And then we wrapped up the whole message with this idea that in the end, the point is that there's no distinction between heaven and earth. That in the end, when God recreates everything, including us in our resurrected bodies, heaven and earth will dwell together. In fact, Revelation talks about that, how there won't be a need for a temple. God's presence will be unhindered. And he will be in our midst. So we talked about that idea, how the Lord wants heaven on earth. And we talked about how the tabernacle was a model. And what we're going to be thinking about today is this. Priests are needed to maintain where heaven and earth meet. 
I mean, think about it like this. I, I mowed my lawn yesterday, and that's one of the least favorite things in all of my life to do. I know some of you love it. I can't stand it. Because really what I'm doing is I'm just pushing back the swamp. I live in Gentilly, and I, I understand that like where I live used to be at least like, you know, a few inches, if not a few feet of water and plants growing up under it. And I feel like I'm constantly pushing back the weeds to keep my house secure from rodents and other creatures. And there's a sense in which that's what the priests in the Old Testament were trying to do. What they were doing is they were recognizing that God is dwelling in the tabernacle or the temple and they've had to keep this space in a particular order so that the presence of God could continue to dwell with the people. Which is why what the priests wore was so important. Because God, if he's defined by any sort of trait, he's defined by what? Holiness. God is holy. People are what? Not holy. By ourselves, in and of our own power, we are not holy. The only way we become holy is by who? Jesus, God. So we are not holy. God is holy. So in order for the priest to maintain this place where God's presence is, they must be holy. So the clothes that they wear matter because the clothes set them apart. That's what holiness means. Holiness means to be set apart. And in one sense, that does mean moral purity. That means what you and I do, what the priests did with their lives, mattered. That's why Jesus had such a hard time with the religious leaders of his day. Because they were hypocrites. There wasn't moral purity in their lives. But in the Old Testament, there wasn't just moral purity. There was ritual or physical purity. So the space where God dwelt and the people that came into his space had to be not only morally pure, but physically and ritually pure. So the priests, what they wore, mattered. Look at Exodus 28, verse 2. You shall make holy garments, garments that are set apart for Aaron, your brother. Aaron was the high priest. There were, there were priests. Under the priest, there was the tribe of Levi or the Levites who were like, uh, you know, assistants to the priest. And then there was the high priest, Aaron. He was the high priest. You shall make holy garments for Aaron, your brother, for glory and for Beauty. And the interesting thing about the garments or the clothes that the high priest wore is it was made out of the same fabric and the same design that the tabernacle was made of. So you get just an idea of what they wore. Anybody want to see me in that? No, no. This past week, Pastor Mark was like, why don't, why don't you preach from that? Like, I'm not, no, we're not doing that this week. Not this week, right? That's what Aaron would have worn when he was ministering in the tabernacle. Now look, there's a bunch of things going on with this outfit. There's a few that I want to point out. Yes, he had a robe and a coat and a sash, but two pieces on his outfit were very important. The breast piece, which you see there's stones all over it, 12 stones in fact, and then the ephod. If you look on his shoulders, 
There are two stones, one on each shoulder. That was called the ephod. And on those two stones and those 12 stones were the names of Israel. Why is that important? Look at what Exodus says. Exodus 28, 12. You shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod as stones of what? Remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for remembrance. Now look at Exodus 28, verses 29 through 30. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And in the breastpiece of judgment, you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Two things. Number one, what in the world is Urim and Thummim? And I don't know. <laughs> Simply put, we're not really quite sure what they were. We know that they were stones and that the priest used them to make decisions for the people of Israel. How those decisions were made, how those stones were used, we're not 100% certain. What's of more significance for us is again the fact that Aaron bore the names of Israel. So when he walks into the tabernacle and he walks into the holy place and he walks in once a year to make atonement, he's wearing the, the, the ephod and the breastpiece, he's bearing the names of Israel, meaning he is going on behalf of who? Israel. He's going to God for the people of Israel. One theologian says it like this, to be a priest was to operate in the danger zone. <laughs> Highway to, no, sorry. To be a priest was to operate in the danger zone of encroaching upon the divine realm. For the purposes of representing the divine will to the community and representing the community before God. I, I thought about it like this this week. You ever, you ever know someone, or maybe this is you, those people in our lives that stand in the gap? They stand in the gap for people. I thought about counselors, social workers. I mean, government officials are kind of supposed to do that. We elect them on our behalf. Priests, pastors, those kinds of people, they're, they're supposed to stand in the gap. They're supposed to be an advocate for the people that they're serving and they're representing. In the same way, that's what Aaron as the high priest was doing. Another theologian says it like this. He says, the priest belongs in two worlds. I think this imagery is so powerful. While his everyday life belongs well, his everyday life is among his fellow Israelites. When he dons his vestments and crosses the threshold, he becomes a participant in the heavenly or ideal world. So he's representing the people of Israel, but he's also representing God. Look at Exodus 28, verses 36 through 28. So we've talked about all of the things that he's wearing, and he's got the ephod and the breastpiece, the sash and the robe, but he's also wearing a turban, the hat. And on it, there's, if you look at the picture, there's a little metal gold piece around the top. Listen to what he says. You shall make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet. What? Holy. 
to who? To the Lord. Holy to the Lord. And you shall fasten it on the turban by a cord of blue. It shall be on the front of the turban. It shall be on Aaron's forehead. And Aaron shall bear any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. It shall be regularly on his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. See, he's standing in this middle place where these two worlds meet, where heaven meets earth, and he's got to represent the people of Israel, which is why he bears the names of Israel on his chest and on his shoulders. But at the same time, he's approaching the holy God of Israel, the creator of all of the universe, which means he must be what? Holy. Holy to the Lord. Wherever heaven and earth meet, you're going to find what? A priest. You're going to find a priest. But in the Bible, Aaron and his family and Levites aren't the only priests. In the New Testament, we learn this. Where heaven and earth meet, you'll find the church. Look at what the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' disciples says in 1 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, who's him? Take a guess. Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. Now pause there just for a moment. Do you notice the imagery? Peter is comparing us to what? A temple. We are like living stones of the temple, the dwelling place of God. That's what we talked about last week, right? That we are the tabernacle. We are where the presence of God dwells. But look at how he shifts the imagery. We move from being a spiritual house to be a holy what? Priesthood. We move from being a place to a kind of and type of people to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual what? Sacrifices. Because what did the priest do? They offered sacrifices. To be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the church are priests. We if you know Jesus, you are a part of the church. There is not a Christian that is not a part of the church. There are two types of churches when we understand church. There's the universal church that all Christians, regardless of denomination, regardless of background, regardless of time, exist in. But that universal church is manifested in our world through the what church? The local church. It's an expression of the universal church. Vintage church is a what? Local church. We are an expression right here of the universal church to the community around us. So the church, we are priests. The German reformer, the Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, said it like this. We are all consecrated priests through baptism. I mean, you might want to consider your baptism as like a swearing-in ceremony. 
that when you are baptized, you are pledging allegiance to Jesus and you are then sworn in to his church and the mission of his church. So what, what Martin Luther's getting at and what I think the entire New Testament is getting at is this idea of the priesthood of all believer. And that Jesus is our high priest and we all now, as followers of Jesus, become priests of his. Doesn't matter what your occupation is. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter if you're a lawyer. It doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. It doesn't matter what your ethnicity is. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are a what? A priest. In fact, go home and update your resume and just put it. Job title, priest. Because that's what the New Testament says, you are. So we are all priests. And the reason that we are all priests is not because of us, but because of who? Jesus. The Son of God. The second person of the Trinity, God himself, came to earth and put on flesh and died on the cross for the sins of humanity that our sins could be forgiven. Remember, we're not holy, we're unholy, but Jesus makes us what? Holy. So Jesus goes to the cross and he takes all of our sins, my sin, your sin, the sins of all humanity, and they are placed on him. And the kinds of sacrifices that the Old Testament priests like Aaron made, Jesus made once and for all. And in making that once and for all sacrifice, our sins, the way the Bible describes this, it uses this fancy word, expiation. Let's say it together on three. One, two, three. Expiation. That means, I mean, that's, I don't know why we use that word. You know why? Because it just means remove. So let's say remove on three. Ready? One, two, three. Remove. It just means that the sins are removed. And if the sins are removed, then we are now what? Holy. So we're holy now, but Jesus didn't just die. He also did what? He rose from the grave, giving us life. And remember, we talked about this last week. When Jesus rose from the grave, he spent 40 days on earth after that, and he said, I have to leave. If I leave, then who comes? The Holy Spirit. So now, as priests of God, the Holy Spirit has come down on us and fills us, and the presence of God literally follows us everywhere we go. So we are made holy by the sacrifice of Jesus. We mediate the presence of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are then what? What's your job description? Priests. That's who we are. One book says it like this. The royal priesthood understands itself to be sent by the Father to share in the mission of the Son through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what you and I are doing when we live out our occupation as priests of God. And what we are doing is we are extending the presence of God into our world. Last week when I talked about the tabernacle or Eden or Jesus, I talked about this kind of three-part 
diagram. Do you remember that? How there were three parts to Eden. There were three parts to the tabernacle. There was the outer court of the tabernacle. There was the tabernacle itself, which one of the the bigger room in the tabernacle made up the holy place. And then the smaller room was the holy of holies, the most holy place. And I want you to think about really all of creation in this way. And this is how the church is extending the presence of God. Think about it like this. The holy of holies It's where the presence of God is. And according to the book of Hebrews, the holy of holies is where? In heaven. God exists in heaven, and it says that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. So the holy of holies is in heaven. The holy place is a spiritual realm that is extending from heaven into creation, our world. And by the way, we're not only physical beings, we're what? Spiritual beings which means we exist in that spiritual place in a weird kind of way that I can't fully describe or understand. But then there's that outer court, and the outer court is the world in which we live. So part of the ways that we participate and act as priests is we're taking that spiritual place, the holy place, and we're working to extend it out into our world so that others around us could know who God is, what Jesus has done on their behalf, and what kind of life they can have. Last week, I described the church as like an embassy. Do you remember that? And I talked about the idea is that wherever you find a church, you find an embassy of the presence of God. Where if you have people in your life, you could be like, look, if you want to find God, go there, go here, go here, right? If you go to a foreign country and you're in trouble or you need help as a U.S. citizen, where do you go? The embassy, right? Because there, in that foreign country, there is land that belongs to the United States of America. And you are a citizen of the United States. So here, in the presence of God, there is an embassy, where people can find God. Well, if the church is an embassy, then that makes you as an individual what? An ambassador. So that wherever you go in this foreign land, you are representing who? Christ and his kingdom. Which means you're telling people about your king. You are representing your king. You are on business for your king, and you're telling people where they can find your king. That's what you do as a priest. That's the responsibility that we have as the church of Jesus Christ. Where heaven and earth meet, you will find a what? A priest first, right? And then where heaven and earth meet, you'll also find the church. None of that is possible without, lastly, this. Where heaven and earth meet, you'll find Jesus. Hebrews chapter 8. We looked at this passage last week. The writer of Hebrews is referring back to Exodus, and in particular the Old Testament. 
And he's talking about everything that happened in the Old Testament and how it points to or foreshadowed the coming of Jesus and everything that we're living in. And it says this, they serve, the Israelites serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. All that to say, there's an old covenant, there's an old way to relate to God, and there's a new way to relate to God. Which is better? The new. And who is over the new? Jesus. Since it is, this is why it's better, enacted on better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. So what the scriptures teach us is that where heaven and earth meet, you will not only find a priest, you will not only find a church. The reason you'll find a priest and a church is because where heaven and earth meet, you will find Jesus. Jesus is the perfection of the priesthood. Last week, when we were talking about the tabernacle, we were, we were saying this, that the tabernacle was simply a model, a model of the heavenly temple, the heavenly place where God dwells. And in the same way, Jesus is the perfection of the priesthood because even before there was an Old Testament priest, there was a priest and his name was Jesus dwelling in heaven with the Father. And now, in the incarnation, dwelling as fully God and fully man and serving as our priest. But it's not just that he's the perfection of the priesthood. He is the source of our priesthood. Everything that we just talked about, where the church is a priest, the reason that you and I are priests is because of who? Jesus. There's this thing in the New Testament, in particular in Paul, called union with Christ. Anytime you're reading the Pauline epistles, things like Romans and First and Second Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, you, you hear Paul say this kind of stuff a lot. In Jesus, in Christ, in Christ Jesus. And that language refers to union with Christ, meaning... That the, the Holy Spirit, when we are saved, comes in us. And the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the Spirit, the New Testament says, of the Son. And so if the Holy Spirit is dwelling with us, He unites us with the Son. So that everything that is the Son's becomes whose? Oh, this is so important. Everything that is the Son's becomes whose? Ours. Mine and yours. That includes the righteousness of God. That includes holiness. That includes peace. That includes love. But it also includes Jesus' priesthood. So the reason that you and I are priests, the reason that we are on the king's business here on earth is because that's what Jesus was doing. And now his mission becomes our mission. It's what he did and it's what we do. One theologian says it like this, only in Christ is the church's priesthood a reality by an event of the act of the Spirit of God. 
And the only reason all of that is true is because of the good news of Jesus, the gospel. The life, death, resurrection that unites us with Jesus, unites us with who he is, and unites us with everything that is his. My family and I, we just got back from vacation a few weeks ago, and we went to uh, one of our stops on our trip was Philadelphia, and then another stop was Washington, D.C. So we got, you know, the full American history experience. And if you don't know, in like the 1780s, an important document was signed regarding the United States. Does anybody know what this document was? Very important. The Constitution. If you didn't know this, I learned about this in Philadelphia. I remembered it from school, so don't judge me. I didn't know this. But we were not an official real republic for like 10 years. We were a federation of states, which was very different. And so in the 1780s, we came back together and we said, listen, this isn't working. We've got to do something different as a country. So we created the Constitution. And after they created the Constitution, some of the founding fathers were like, listen, something's missing. Does anybody know what was missing? The Bill of Rights. The Bill of Rights are the first 10 amendments in our Constitution. And in that Bill of Rights, there are rights that are guaranteed to you and I as whether we are natural-born citizens or naturalized citizens. Things like the right to freedom of speech or to do what we're doing right now, to be able to practice the kind of religion that you want to practice as a citizen of America. Why do I bring all of this up? Because... The Constitution guarantees us rights. And in the same way, being united with Jesus guarantees us things that Jesus gives us. One of those being that we are priests. And by the way, if you're thinking for a moment that you might be underqualified or unqualified for this position... You have everything that you need because you have who? Jesus. Wherever heaven and earth meet, you'll find a priest, you'll find the church, and you will find Jesus. Speaking of American history, one of the things that I like to do from time to time is read biographies and, and read biographies of, of like presidents and uh, significant figures in American history. And in the last couple of years, back and forth, here and there, I've picked up a biography of Fred Frederick Douglass. Does everybody know who he is? An abolitionist. He was born into slavery in the 1800s, uh, somewhere in Maryland around Baltimore. And as a little boy, he was given or bought, I can't remember the exact details, to a family in Baltimore, the Ald family, wealthy family. And he was a slave inside their home. And they had a daughter named Sophia. And one of the things that Sophia did is she taught Frederick how to read. You might know where this story is kind of going. The parents, particularly the father who owned Frederick, was upset about this. Because what he understood is that if a slave learns to read, that's a path to freedom. And in fact, Frederick Douglass himself said that. He said to read was a direct pathway from slavery to freedom. 
Later on, he became a teenager and a young adult, and Frederick Douglass escaped slavery. And he went to the north, to Massachusetts. And what we know of Frederick Douglass is he became an abolitionist. He began to speak for those who did not have a voice for themselves. People like African Americans and former slaves and women and others. And this story reminded me of the significance of being a priest. Because Frederick Douglass had somebody who went before him an advocate in this little girl, Sophia, who even though she wasn't supposed to be teaching him how to read, she saw an opportunity to stand for Frederick Douglass and give him this opportunity. And in turn, Frederick Douglass took that gift and began to use it so that other people who didn't have a voice could be served and loved and advocated for. I am beyond grateful and thankful that we have a priest. That we we weren't even searching for it. But in God's God's plan and in God's love and, and his desire for us to come to him, he sent a priest, Jesus. And in turn, I am challenged that we not only have a priest, but then we are called to become priests. That's it. It's an obligation, a privilege, a responsibility that God has given us to stand in the gap, to be the person where heaven and earth meet and show people who God is, and where God can be found. Where heaven and earth meets, you will always find a priest between the Lord and us. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, we just, we take a moment to thank you that your plan is so much better than ours. In the last two weeks, just thinking about the tabernacle and Eden and Jesus and your church and where your presence dwells. And even to this week, to think about the priests and how the priests pointed forward to Jesus and how Jesus points to us now as his priests. God, your plan is incredible. Thank you, Father, for giving us a priest in Jesus. And thank you for making us priests. Father, may we not take it for granted that we are ambassadors for you. Sent out to show people who you are and where you are. May we be grateful for that responsibility, but may we be responsible with that privilege as well. And so help us now, Father, as we respond to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining the Vintage Church NOLA podcast. 
If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll see you next week.